Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Shop Notes Podcast, a weekly woodworking podcast where you can learn a little bit more about our favorite hobby. I'm your host, Phil Huber. Today, I'm joined by the usuals, Logan and John. Today's episode is number 47, can you believe it? And on today's episode, we're going to be talking about glues, one sticky situation. Thanks for listening. This episode of Shop Notes Podcast is brought to you by Woodsmith Plans. You'll find nearly a thousand plans covering everything that you'd want to build. From furniture projects to gift projects, kitchen accessories, workshop projects and jigs and more. Find your next project at woodsmithplans.com. Okay, so we were talking about topics for podcasts, which is always, Mm -hmm. it's kind of a weekly discussion of ours. Like five minutes before we turn the cameras on? Right, right. So, and then I think the funny part was, is since we discussed talking about glues, Becky says, is there something other than tight bond? Well, Which, I mean, that, yeah, that is part of what led me to this topic. Yeah. Because, I mean, she's kind of not wrong. No offense to all the other glue makers out there. It's like, do you want to go to the grocery store and get the bagged cereal? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Aww. No, it, I, I mean, it's a valid question because Bond, I think, has so much of the market share. Right. However, this came up from a project I'm working on. I was actually looking for a very specific glue, and I could not find it. So that's why I wanted to talk about glues, what you have in your shop, what you use, when you use it, and why you have the glues that you have and why you've chosen them. Okay. Yeah, because I think those are very different questions because when you brought this up, I started looking around for what glues I actually did have in my shop. Mm -hmm. There are actually quite a few that I had, which I didn't think or remember, I guess. However... I also noticed that some of them I haven't touched in a good long time. Yes. And so right now, obviously, those people are watching. I spun a camera 180. My shop's almost clean enough. I can show everybody, but only from here down. Um, <laughs> I was up here, so guys. I'm <laughs> so I'm sitting here looking at my glue shelf. And you're right. I have a lot of glues that I have. that I'm like, why do I have that? It's a brand new bottle. It's never been opened. And it's been here for two or three years now. So, yeah. so a little bit of background why I wanted to talk about this. Uh, so I'm, you know, I've been working on this dining room table and a portion of that is these bent laminations. Okay. Sure. Uh, I had, I have this table. I have went over these aprons, stretchers, whatever we're calling them. Um, I had went with a thinner lamination than I usually do. Okay. So usually I go to like a quarter inch lamination. I went thinner. I went three sixteenths. And the, the reason why I went thinner is I wanted a little bit less spring back. Okay. So thinner laminations with more theoretically should give me less spring back. Now, usually I, um, build some spring back into my form, but I didn't do that this time for a few reasons. Uh, long story short. I started looking at glue and I'm thinking, okay, uh, some of these glues are kind of flexible, right? Like when tight bond dries, I don't have any dry glue around me. I'm sure John does. Cause you sickos wipe it under the bench. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> some under. But, when, but when tight bond dries, it's actually fairly flexible. Which right? tight bond though? Well, yeah, again, another topic that we need to discuss. Uh, however, in researching some bent lamination, uh, and one of one of my woodworking heroes, um, idols, you could say, has always been David Marks. Okay. Okay. And David Marks does a lot of bent lamination, and one of his uh, suggestions for bent lamination glue is plastic resin glues. Okay, and plastic resin glues generally come in powdered form and you mix water in with them. Okay. Right. For the very specific reason that they 
have a longer open time, which is good when you're doing vent laminations and wanting to get everything all glued up, especially if you're doing like super intricate ones with a lot of laminations, a lot of thin laminations, and that it induces less spring back because okay. the glue itself, when it is dry, is more rigid, holds the shape more. It makes complete sense. I looked all over in Des Moines, the greater Des Moines area. I did not hit the Woodsmith store. Um, it was uh, after, I think it was after they closed or else I would have driven out there. But I, <laughs> Weldwood was the one I was looking for because I figured that was that was a, a brand that I've, we, I've seen carried in stores. Weldwood Contact Cement mainly. Uh, but I was right. like, oh, they're Weldwood dealers. Maybe they'll have it. Nowhere had it. So I ended up using Tight Bond 2. Okay. for my bent lambs and it worked beautifully they worked very well um, but it made me think about should i order a tub of that and in what other applications would i use it which i think bent lambs are probably the only place i would use it um david and it makes sense uh david mark said he doesn't use it for uh veneers because it's water-based, so it causes swelling mm. in the wood fibers, so it can cause some veneers to, to do some weird things. Um, but I use Type-On 2. It worked beautifully. So I guess the question is, what glues do you guys keep and use, and when do you deviate from those? Hmm. Yeah, I'm just like your generic Type-Bond 1 through 3. Usually Type-Bond two or three just because that's what we have around your worker. yeah i'm just basic <laughs> see i see you guys use hide glue a yeah. ton and i just have never gotten into that i guess i don't know you're not down with the dead animals i'm not i'm like a vegan woodworker <laughs> so but i don't know why do you guys use like what's the what's so special about hide glue that you guys seem to use that a lot for assemblies just that it's slower drying and easier to clean up or uh mostly yeah i like the fact that uh i prefer to create my joinery that it's a little tighter fitting mm -hmm. not overly tight but i like to be able to lightly tap or use clamps you know to draw you know, a tongue into a dado or right. a tendon into a mortise yeah. or something like that. So the, the liquid hide glue lubricates a joint more than, uh, than a typical wood glue does because a typical wood glue will swell the fibers and make it even tighter, which I don't mm -hmm. want mm -hmm. because eventually that water is going to go away and right. I don't want the tendon <clears throat> to sh shrink again and then be a loose fit. So uh, I like the fact that I feel like it's a little easier to clean up either dried or still liquid hide glue. Mm -hmm. uh, and I do appreciate the longer time because I, I've i learned over the years that um, I want to take my time during a glue up, but I also realize that there are plenty of times that I've overlooked something in the middle of a glue up and therefore need to make an adjustment on the fly or quick grab another clamp or something like that. Mm -hmm. So having that, that extra time makes it easier for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree with Phil on every one of those. There's two other reasons I like hide glue. Um, the first is that it doesn't, spot like normal glue does so if you right. miss a dab on the surface a lot of times it doesn't show up like a normal pva glue will block all stain absorption and you'll have this big white spot showing up on the project and you stained it right uh hide glue generally doesn't do that and the water cleanup like phil said uh, <clears> usually uh once i get a joint together and if i squeeze out i grab a i have a toothbrush uh, on the shelf next to me I just grab some boiling water and scrub that joint down with the water and the glue goes away, right? So it's super mm -hmm. easy to clean up. I also like the fact that I can repair it down the road. So sure. dried PVA glue, like Type-On, 
will not stick to itself. So if you if you have a tenon that pops out of a joint and you squirt more glue on it, it's not going to grab to that glue that's already dried. Hide glue will. So yeah. the hide glue will kind of reactivate the old glue that's there. And you can even reactivate it with a little bit of steam. So if you do need to knock a joint apart, if you're if you build a chair and you have one rail it, or one leg that ends up loose, you can steam that joint and get it to come apart most of the time. Right. Um, and then re-glue it. So mm -hmm. uh, it, it's an ease of use thing, in my opinion. However, that being said, the only failures I've ever had on a panel glue-up have been on high glue. Hmm. Um, I don't know if that is um, me starving the joint. I think that's probably what it is. I'm not using uh, – I've been trying to – I know Type Bond loves two-sided gluers, right? Like mm -hmm. gluing both surfaces and then squishing it together because you're using twice as much glue as you need to, right? <laughs> so I think the sales guys like that. When we had Bob in here for that. those videos, he said you only needed to do one side. Well, and I, this this is actually coming from Bob at Type Bond. I actually had a Mark Adams class with him on carving, and that's when I met Bob for the first time. And yeah, he's like, you only need to glue one side. We love people like glue two sides. <laughs> the sales guys do, but he's like, you don't need to. So on that mantra, I've been trying to apply less glue to where I don't have as much squeeze out to deal mm -hmm. with and clean up. So I think potentially the, the failures I've have had um, have been generally they've been like gluing up wide panels and I'll just have one end that comes a little loose. Hmm. Uh, so, so the, the boards kind of pop apart. I think it's me starving the joint of glue. So I'm not going to say it's high glue's pro, uh, far, uh, fault, but I think uh, it, it's because I use high glue a lot. So I guess that's probably where my main issue is. Okay. Um, yeah. So do you, I guess when you guys step it up and go to type on three outdoor projects, I think are kind of a given. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I uh, does well on dark woods too, just cause it dries darker. I mean, if you're looking for that or whatever, but I don't know. Yeah, I would call Type Bond 3 my other glue. Okay. And I would use that on, you know, a project that's going to, maybe on like shop projects that are going to be in my unconditioned garage. Like I know mm, sure. liquid hide glue probably <laughs> will be fine over the long term. And I had actually emailed uh, Bob at, type bond about that very thing and he said it's probably okay but i did that uh cutting boards you know i'm my dad yep. over thanksgiving gave me a cutting board that my mom really likes using this one right here and it had a couple of glue joints that were starting to fail so i ripped it apart and re-glued it and used type bond three sure so to me and this is just from my own woodworking experience. I don't understand type bond too. You know, I can see like the original type bond for people who want just the regular wood glue. Type bond three for the waterproof glue. Type bond two as water resistant. Once type bond three came out, I guess I just question why that mm -hmm. product still exists. That's all I use for type bond. Is type bond two. <laughs> like, I'm not joking. I'm looking at like, look, I, have, I have three bottles of type bond two, one <clears throat> bottle of type bond three. Yeah. <laughs> I guess, I guess why, why have type bond one? Right. True. I mean, I don't use regular wood glue. I mean, that's kind of your standard yellow yeah. glue. Mm -hmm. um, but but like I said, I, I wherever I would have used Type Bond One in the past, or your, mm -hmm. you know, like Loctite made a yellow glue in Elmer's and whatever. Yeah, that's where I use liquid hide glue now. Sure. Yeah, and I I would agree with most of my projects. That's what I do still. Yeah. Um, so. And I, I I do like the Type Bond hide glue. Uh, it has I think urea added to it right. to keep it in a liquid form. Um, I also am very fond of the old brown 
glue. Yep, it's a little thicker. Yep. Exactly. One Phil's holding up for you guys watching on the tubes. Um, right. And I like that. It is a little thicker. So what I have found yeah. is that, um, especially when my shop was in the garage, I often had to put it in a pan of warm water to get it warm sure. enough to use during the cooler months because it does gel a little faster. Yeah. Um, so I guess on that note, what other glues do you guys make sure you guys have on hand in your shop? Um, if we're just talking about tight bond, I've always liked their quick and thick or molding glue or whatever it's called. Yeah. Phil's, thank you. Phil's thank got you, it Anna. all there. Yep. Yeah. So it's <laughs> just Now we know like, where all the glue in the shop is. <laughs> hey, I brought this wrong. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So just like what it said, like molding and stuff that you need to just tack quickly, you know, it doesn't need to be, you know, super strong. You're just trying to get it in place and hold it together. That's always handy to have around. And what's the new one that they have? That's kind of this, it's quick drying or trying uh, to look around to see what we have. Cause it's definitely yeah, not quick well, and thick. Cause it's a lot thinner, thinner, but it's still yeah. high tack. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and that, the bottle they sent us, it, it's made for like industrial manufacturers, right? Where yeah. it has like a UV fluorescence in it, where you can shine a UV light on it and see where it squeezes out. Um, right for kind of industrial settings um you know i always make sure i have i have more super glue than i ca glue i have more ca glue on my shelf than i would ever speed set absolutely yeah, speed set yep um i have more ca glue on my shelf than i would ever admit to anybody <laughs> in in every different viscosity i have a handful of bottles of gel of the gel, handful of the thick, handful of the medium, and a bunch of the thin. Um, you know, as a turner, I use the thin as a as a finish, as a finish. occasionally. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, yep. Um, but I also recently purchased, and I don't have it. It's in my fridge, actually, out down here. Um, I purchased some of the. Uh, oh gosh, what's the brand? Oh, I'm gonna find my accelerator. Oh, I can see it. Uh, the Starbond glue no i don't know if you guys have seen uh and if you guys if anybody listening is on youtube or whatever i see a lot of the starbond ads um for their like they have a uh they have different viscosities they have like a black tinted ca glue they have a brown tinted ca glue a light brown um and then i bought some of their accelerator and stuff and that's kind of my new favorite super glue mm -hmm. um i used i used a lot of the black on um the poker table I built, that's actually why I bought it originally, because I had some um, uh, walnut occasionally gets weird, like, black lines in it. It's almost like a pith line, but it's not a pith. Um, so I used it to fill some of those uh, instead of black epoxy, and it worked beautifully. And I love their, their accelerators. Very nice. What I really like is that uh, they also sell these little uh, pipette tips. Mm -hmm. Wow, which is super nice. So I've kind of started relying on that as my CA glue. Um, and I know our, our friends over at Titebond do make CA glues. Uh, I've never used them. I don't know if you guys have. Uh, I've used some uh, just because we had some in the shop. Sure. At Here at Woodsmith. So I've used it in that sense. I don't use uh, instant glue a ton. I Sure. I don't know. I used to have a few bottles at home for repair stuff around the house, yeah. but yep. as a woodworking thing, I don't really use it all yeah. that often. Yeah, I it seems like you get a bottle of it and use it a couple times, and it just kind of crystallizes up if you don't use it very often. So, yeah. But I bet you use it a lot for turning, but like you said, yeah. I keep it around to, you know, repair stuff. But Which I have found that really keeping enough. it in the fridge, which is actually a uh, this, uh, the Starbond stuff does say, I think, keep it in a fridge. I actually got that from my buddy, Jimmy Clues. Uh, he he has all his bottles in his fridge, in his shop. Um, that seems to help the crystallizing, because you're right. I would guarantee you, if I go through my glue shelf right now, which is in my camera around so people watching can see my glue shelf, it's right there. Okay. Uh, so I got a bunch of glue, a bunch of um, high glue, some a lot of Titebond 2, one bottle of Titebond 3. Um, I, uh, 
I I would bet that most of those are probably crystallized up. Some of those are crystallized up. I know that. Um, but I do appreciate it, not only for the repairs, uh, but for some. Um, I've used it to harden threads before. So threads I've cut in wood. Um, uh, I made a jig for the lathe in the shop at the at the studio, and I, I used the infinity wood taps to tap a hole into this block of wood that I was basically putting a rod in to make a depth gauge for gauging the depth of bowls and squirted some glue in there. And it works phenomenally. It's like I have a brass insert in there, but way, way easier than a brass insert in my opinion. Right. So, you know, uh, how about epoxy? Yeah. Epoxy is probably, I don't know, is the other glue that I keep around that I actually use. Sure. Um, I have the, the, it's a five minute epoxy. This one I've had for a while. It's speed fast or what is it? Stick fast. Yep. Um, yep. And I like it. I got it in bigger bottles because I just feel like the little, I don't know, syringe tubes ended up getting gunky after a while or, yeah. and I wanted something for uh, gluing similar materials together. You know, if I'm trying to, put aluminum into something or brass or um, I feel like I get a much better bond than I would with like a CA glue. Sure. You know, the, uh, the one thing about epoxy, and this is something I learned from Bob at Taiwan is epoxy is the only true uh, void filling glue, right? right? It is the only glue that you can put a loose tenon into a mortise and have that joint be as tight as it would be if it was a good fitting joint with epoxy in it because it will fill the voids and harden and you have a good strong joint. You can't do that with tight bond, one, two, three. You can't even do that with super glue. Um, right. So, and it, it's interesting because I know uh, Matt Cremona up in Minnesota, uh, some of you guys might watch him on YouTube. Uh, he uses epoxy for almost every glue up on everything. Yeah. Um, which is interesting to me. And I might try that on this dining room table I'm building. Uh, simply for the fact of um, the the open time on it. You know, we have, you, Phil, you mentioned yours is five-minute epoxy. I, I also actually have a couple bottles of, um, I have Loctite brand five minute epoxy. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, and I, I do like getting it in those bigger bottles because you're right, the, the little tubes suck. And I think they're more, it's actually more expensive per ounce than getting the big bottles. Right. Um, but it, it's kind of intriguing to me on using it like a normal wood glue, right? Like, yeah. gives you super long open time depending on the epoxy that you, right. you buy. Um, the tensile strength is significantly higher than wood glue, which in of itself is stronger than the wood generally. If it's a if it's a glue that isn't contaminated or have frozen or anything, um, so I don't know. It's kind of interesting. I might I might try it, and see how it works. I feel like the cleanup could be a little problematic. Yeah, that's to me. That's the big thing is that it, any squeeze out just turns into. You know, it feels like you're gluing your project together with maple syrup. You know, it just yeah. gets everywhere yeah. and is sticky and yeah. whatever. It so stink. I, it stinks and I don't know, to, to clean it up, you're using acetone or denatured alcohol and it just, you know, kind of the fumes and whatever. Mm -hmm. I think that's part of the reason that I gravitate toward the hide glues is that it's a little less toxic than other types of glues you know like i know the the old brown glue so that this doesn't come off as just a strict tight bond love fest yep. is uh is actually animal protein whereas yep. i think the tight bonds liquid hide glue is synthetic mm -hmm. i don't think it's sure. actually animal protein although it's the same proteins that an animal yeah. glue has so um, Which it's funny. I I, fact, I actually was just reading, and I think it was old Finewood working. Uh, they were talking about the old brown glue, and like the guy, I think the guy that makes old brown glue still makes it like in his like bathroom. Yeah, 
Like, yeah. like it's not a commercialized <laughs> process. Like the guy is still mixing up the high glue in a double boiler, like in his spare bathroom, and he just flips the vent fan on and bottles it up. Like I love supporting somebody <laughs> like that, you know. Yeah, it's pretty funny because I've seen, I followed the guy who makes it, Patrick Edwards. Um, yep. He's out of San Diego. And yeah, he's a big proponent of animal protein glues and started making it because he knew that, you know, it's just not necessarily convenient for hobbyist woodworkers or a lot of woodworkers to have a glue pot and to go through the prep time involved with, you know, soaking hide glue and then yeah. heating it up and keeping it at the right temperature and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, so maybe, I, maybe, maybe if you're going to spend like all day in your shop and you liked it, like the yeah. light using it, um, yeah, I could see it, but yeah, you're, you're right. It's just one of those things. Like, I don't want to mess with it. Right. Mm -hmm. So what are your guys' opinions on uh, polyurethane glue or what, most people know as gorilla glue do you like using that in the right or no i think if it, if it died i would not care <laughs> wouldn't even send a card see i like the challenge you know sometimes in the right situations of like it's foaming up everywhere and i i don't know that that's the right like selling point for it like oh. i like the challenge of using yeah. it yeah. yeah it's like can i get this just right so it doesn't get foam everywhere and have to clean that up and no i mean to be fair i think that there is a because it's it's also an outdoor glue right so mm -hmm. type on three yeah and the the polyurethane glue is are, are the two and epoxy are the two out or the three outdoor glues um i just i had one bad experience with it and i just don't i'm so afraid to use it again mm -hmm. i just i don't know and i know that they now that was probably 20 years ago i was repairing a chair for my grandpa and he had tried to glue these spindles together with polyurethane glue so it was probably the original gorilla glue and there yeah. was just foam everywhere and it was rock hard could not get it off it was just miserable um and i think now they make low foaming polyurethane glue correct yeah i think it does do. it, most of the ones out there don't foam quite as much as yeah they used to uh i yeah. i don't know i used it when i don't know yeah it is probably about 18 20 15 years ago when yeah. uh gorilla glue kind of took off and had a big blitz and i got some tried it out i mean i didn't mind it so much but again it was one of those things where it was just kind of a pain to clean up in my opinion hmm. and maybe it's just part of the learning curve of using it and if you yeah. stick with it because I know there's some, like, who's that one guy uh, does a lot of veneer work, and he does all of his veneer with polyurethane glue. Yeah. And it's like, for real? I don't. Yeah, I don't know. You know, so I'm looking at the Typebond website because Typebond does make polyurethane glue as well. Um, and their their sales, their features and benefits, I don't want to say their sales pitch, but the features and benefit is that it's 100% waterproof. Yeah. It is epoxy-like strength, so with no mixing. Um, solvent-free, excellent sandability, bonds to virtually anything. Now, this is one that's interesting to me uh, because I, I believe the first time I ever used it, I felt like it needed to be in the clamps forever. Uh, it is only polyurethane glue to combine a long 30-minute working time with a short 45-minute clamping time. So mm -hmm. it may dry a lot faster than the previous formulas have, which is okay. kind of interesting to me. Yeah. Yeah. See, I think I used it recently when we were doing those, uh, the bird feeder for the TV show. Oh, and okay. I had to glue up some um, pieces of cedar to make the wider panel for the bottom. And I think we had that tight bond polyurethane glue. I tried it and it did uh, dry pretty fast and didn't foam a lot. And it was just a flat panel. So it was easy to clean up. It's not like I had all these intricate joints and, yeah, and right. whatnot to, to, you know, scrape around and, now, when you, when you used it, John, did you have to wet the joints first? I did. I don't know if that was in the instructions or not. Okay. I, that's just traditionally <laughs> what you do. I took it over to the sink and just, you know, rub some water on the joints. And yeah, 
I didn't read the directions, but because <laughs> that is <laughs> that is one of the things with polyurethane glues of the past, and maybe maybe I should look at them more now. Uh, mm. Is that you had to wet the joint, mm. right? You had to dab water on the joint. There had to be moisture for the polyurethane to activate and foam and yeah. adhere. Um, I'm actually going to stand up and grab. I have a bottle of Gorilla Glue that's unopened, so I'm going to read what mm. that says. Okay. There you go. We'll wait. Don't worry. I got it. <laughs> Welcome to the podcast where we read the directions Labels. on glue yes. bottles. Yeah. <laughs> what are the real directions? Yeah. So, so this is an original Gorilla Glue. Bonds virtually everything. Um, I don't know if there's... Well, it's still liquid. Um, yeah, so it says moisture content. If below 10%, so if what you're gluing is below 10%, uh, so this is toted for uh, wood, stone, metal, ceramics, foam, glass, and more. So if you're using something to add a little moisture content, dampen surfaces with water. So, and it's 80% cured in one to two hours, full cure at 24 hours. Okay. Yeah. So I would think most wood would have enough moisture in it to activate it, but I mean, it doesn't hurt to put a little... Yeah, moisture air dried for sure. Yeah. Air dried for sure. Kiln dried if it's at seven, eight percent, you might need to moisture it. Mm -hmm. uh, the Gorilla Glue sales pitch. I don't know if you guys can see that there. Those three bars up top it says damp it, glue it, and clamp it. Those are the three mm -hmm. steps, mm -hmm. and then foam all okay. over your hands. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> see, and I think that's that's where I ended up switching to type on three is I was working with, uh, I was making some cutting boards years ago for Christmas presents and I uh, was doing quite a few of them and had started off using uh, polyurethane glue, but then one of my kids wanted to help me with it. And with the polyurethane glue, it was just like, you know, I don't Sorry. need glue on fingers and getting in mouths and mm -hmm. yeah. all that kind of stuff. So reading this, it does say, it says, you know, clean up. And I'm not, I don't want this to come across that I'm, I'm hating on polyurethane glue. I just haven't mm -hmm. used it recently to see if it has gotten better. Reading this ancient bottle that I have, it does say, wipe wet glue off project immediately with a dry cloth and or paint thinner. Cured glue can be removed with a chisel, scraper, or sandpaper. Uh, and then see first aid for removal from skin. So, right. <laughs> yeah. 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 I think one of the first times I remember uh, using it, it was something for the TV show quite a while ago where we were doing like some sort of bent lamination. So it had probably let's say eight laminations and it's like yeah. lathering each, you know, layer with glue and then the next <laughs> layer. So you can imagine the amount of squeeze out and foam oh, yeah, that ensued nasty. from that. And it was, was quite that, the mess. That was either the coat rack, that bent lamb coat mm -hmm. rack or the uh, fishing net. Because yeah, I think when I was, we moved studios, we still had one that it was glued into the form. Yeah, right, from. it was, yes. I think that was like the first attempt where it was like, oh, that was way too much. So I think it might have been the coat rack. So I guess the question I is, it. you know, having, having just did a bet lamination this last weekend, I, I, I always cover my bet lamb forms with packing tape, with cork mm -hmm. and then packing tape, right? Yeah. If this adheres to everything, does it mean it sticks to your packing tape? No, I believe that it still releases from packing. Does it? Okay. Yeah. Okay. I don't know if it would or not. I mean, I have, there's, I guess, a little give because there's cork underneath the packing yeah. tape. So you could probably pop it off, but yeah. No boy, no. Yeah. I'm, I'm still going to give the powdered uh, plastic resin glue a try at some point. Yeah. Um, what is the, it's like Unibond 800 or something like that. I yes. think it's one of them. And, yep. And I think that's one that David Marks says. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I, I just think it would be interesting, uh, especially with it being water-based kind of seems yeah. to be uh, a cool little thing, um, mixing it up and using it. I think it has a pretty, pretty good open time. So yeah, yeah. he says, uh, uh, the one he uses mainly is Unibond 800. Um, 
but then the DAP Weldwood plastic resin glue. Um, so, interesting. I mean, I think uh, on the old TV show set, we had a couple of like vintage containers for things. And I think one was an old hide glue container. And then we had uh, on the back bench was an old casein glue. Yeah, sure container which was a powder that you mixed with water but the casein that's derived from milk like from milk paint yeah mm-hmm. so i mean that would be kind of interesting to have tried that at some point too because that was supposedly which, pretty durable which that would still be considered a protein glue right because it's a it's a casein protein right yeah right uh, and that's i mean same thing with um oh uh, who's the uh there's a there's a guy that works over at um the luthier supply, Stu Mac. Um, there's a guy that works, does a lot of their YouTube videos, and he's a uh, he's a, a luthier and a guitar repairman. He uses a lot of fish glue, yeah, which is kind of interesting. Um, I don't know what the benefits of a fish glue versus like hide glue would be. I it, I think, and I could be wrong, but I think it's thinner than could hide be. glue is. Yeah. So Do you use that for business. marine operation or you know? Yeah, outdoor. Yes. I think so. Yeah, yeah, it's water. It's waterproof. Water, water repellent. It's it's only waterproof high glue. (laughs) Yes. Oh man, John, would you hand somebody else the cart in Walmart? Do you say I filled her up for you, (laughs) (laughs) or I kept it running? Yeah, yeah. I think you're required to. I think so. Yeah, as a dad, I think we are required Mm -hmm. to say that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Now to throw a little disclaimer in here, of course. Tight Bond is a sponsor of the Woodsmith Shop TV show. Of course. And I want to recognize that because I know people will likely comment about it, but there are reasons that we use Tight Bond and there are reasons why we have Tight Bond as a underwriter for the show. And that's because we use it all the time. So, yep. and yeah. uh, I've just always liked the product in general. And I think, you know, we alluded to it earlier. I mean, you can find Type Bond everywhere. You yeah, know, you I was really have say, to go looking for it. Yeah, that's that that kind of I'm I'm not terribly brand specific on most things. Um, so I kind of get whatever's there. And at Menards, Type Bond's what's there. Right. And it, and it works. I mean, it works great. Uh, but for like this project I'm working on right now, I bought a gallon jug of it. I, there's no other glue that they have at Walmart that comes in a gallon size container. Yeah. So, you know, it's just, it's nice to be able to get the gallon, fill up my little, you know, whatever size it is, the, the smaller tube size and yeah. save a little money. Sure. Mm-hmm. So. Okay. Cool. All right. So how are you coming on your table? Uh, table's coming good. I got I got all my uh, laminations glued up this weekend. Like I said, very little spring back on it. Um, I got maybe, so it's a, I cut the laminations at 89 inches. Okay. So they're okay. 89 inches long, about a five inch deflection in the center. Uh, so the ends dip about five inches. And I got maybe a quarter inch spring back in total, which is completely workable. You know, I'm sure. not concerned about that spring back at all. Uh, so my next steps, I have uh, my legs are actually sitting right back there behind me on my table saw. Uh, my next steps, I got my my short rails cut that are not bent; those are straight. My next steps are going to be taking the laminations and cutting the ends, which I think I'm going to do on the form. So I think I'm going to clamp them down to the form um, and then cut them on the miter saw to length. And then I'm going to do floating tenons to connect right. them. Uh, and I'm going to use our new horizontal mortising machine to do that because I think <clears throat> I can hold those laminations in the form again, which is great because this form kind of gives me a plane to work off of. Oh, yeah. So, so uh I'm going to do that. Uh, that will hopefully happen. Uh, this won't happen this weekend. This weekend's deer season in Iowa, so I'll be busy. But <laughs> uh, but yeah, so that's coming along really great. Uh, it's been I, I like I like building tables because they they seem like a big intimidating project. They're four legs, aprons, and a top. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're they're yeah. pretty dang simple. There's mm-hmm. not much to 
there can be as much to them as you want, but for most, most tables, they're pretty simple. So they go together really quick. Mm -hmm. Um, after I have this form built, I mean, I could whip out another one of these tables pretty quickly if I wanted to, um, which is really fun. So it doesn't take that much time. Um, I have been working on my shop cleanup. I'm getting almost there. I moved my lumber Mm -hmm. storage to these racks back here. Yeah. Which is really cool. Um, I was thinking though, I I can fit an eight foot board on the the top rack up there. Right. However, behind my head is this little sliding barn door, and that thing opens up to what was my dog kennel. I mean, it's still a dog kennel. Um, it's just under the stairs. I thought about building a rack that I could slide. I could fit like twelve foot boards in there. Oh, nice. However. That's you got to get them down board. there in the first place. Well, yeah, and that's such a long board to work in my shop. I don't know that I want to mess mm-hmm. with that. So yeah. uh, so the shop cleanup has been coming pretty well. I did have a – I can't believe I didn't mention this last week. Um, I had a listener of the podcast send me a message on Facebook. And I was like, hey, I know you buy and sell hand tools. Do you happen to have a jointer plane that I could purchase? Um, so I ended up uh, – Saying, oh yeah, I, I actually had a number a number seven and a couple number fives. I think are the last things on my um, shelf that is the to restore and sell pile. Um, <laughs> so uh, there's still more there, hand plane wise. That's what was there. Uh, so I actually ended up, uh, I believe it was Steven, asked me to do that. So I uh, I ended up doing a tune-up restore on a number seven and i know i've said it before but holy crap i love 01 tool steel sharpening it <laughs> like i clean i cleaned up the thing and put an edge on the blade and oh my god it just sharpened so nicely so so i did that it was a fun little side project last week it stretched over a couple of days um between soaking the plane uh getting some of the gunk off of it and refinishing the knob and toe and stuff. Uh, but yeah, that should be hopefully to him here in the next day or two. Uh, I was going down to Alabama. So it was kind of fun. So yeah, nice. still, still working on, you guys can see all my little storage totes back here, the little oh, storage yeah. drawers full of mm-hmm. fishing tackle. There's a bunch of them. <laughs> and I was there this, uh, over the Thanksgiving holiday. And I discovered my grandpa had a hoard of plexiglass. Oh wow. yeah. So so now I have like there's probably forty sheets of plexiglass. Mm-hmm. So it's like I never need to buy plexiglass again. So that's worth a lot of money these days. I know. <laughs> Sneeze guards and the, the the plexiglass in conjunction with the eight hundred and five pounds of lead that I brought home mm-hmm. the other day. So yeah. So I was I was like, oh never now I have no excuse not to put plexiglass on every jig I build. Right. Mm-hmm. So so yeah, or a picture. I mean, I to be honest with you, I use plexiglass for when I'm doing like picture frames and stuff too. Because mm-hmm. having two children and two cats, picture frames find their way onto the floor quite often. Right. So anything that can avoid breakage like plexiglass, I try to. So. So in the apocalypse, you're ready for like personal sneeze guards, and you have plenty of material for lead balls for your musket. Your musket. And- yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's just disappear right. into the woods yeah although you know last last week i said that maybe there will be some fishing lures in the near future uh, mm. i think that's what the plexiglass was actually for i haven't my grandpa is technically on quarantine right now uh so i haven't been able to ask him i'm assuming he had that plexiglass to do like lips on crankbaits right mm. that's kind of what i was thinking yeah yeah so which is which is kind of cool it's it's, it's all fairly thin it's all between uh 16th and 8th inch which makes me think yeah it was crankbait um lips yeah but yeah so that's kind of been my my fun little projects for this uh last week or so um yeah so are you planning on building your own chairs for your dining table or what <laughs> yeah are you doing? i am unfortunately um so <laughs> Phil and I have talked about this in the past that there's not many people that like, I mean, you build a table, right? That's one project. Mm-hmm. Chairs are six or eight individual projects, mm-hmm. you know? I mean, you can kind of get in that production style for yeah. building chairs. Um, but if you I do, you got to be hyper-organized, though. I, mm-hmm. Yeah, and oh, look at me. I'm not hyper-organized. <laughs> 
<laughs> Actually, my shop's usually very organized. This is this has been driving me nuts and causing a high level of anxiety having my shop a disaster, especially because this is where I come to work every day now. I sit mm-hmm. at my computer here, and it just causes me anxiety. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yes, I am planning on building my chairs. Uh, I have a, a Thomas Mosier, again, inspired design that I'm going to be building these chairs out of. Or, or building these chairs based on uh, for the short term I'm actually going to use some chairs that I have um, for the table the I haven't decided on what style um, or I'm, I take that back I've decided on the style and the style has a curved rail around the seat okay so if you think about a seat pan on a chair uh, the yeah. sides are straight and the back is curved it's all one continuous piece. And I uh, I actually messaged you guys a couple weeks ago saying, hey, how would you guys tackle this? Would you guys do this with seam bending? Would you do this with bent lamination? And Phil said bent lamination, mm-hmm. which I think is probably the safer bet um, because with with some preparation, bent lamination is pretty uh, – how do I want to word this? It's pretty predictable, right? Right. Like if you have good lamb preparation, you have good form preparation, you can knock out the same shape time after time again. Uh, not having a ton of steam bending experience in this scale, I don't know. I kind of want to try it um, simply for the fact that I, I only had eight laminations on these rails I did. I hated doing them. It's like you go to the bandsaw, you resaw them, then you go to the planer, plane them down. Then you go to the drum sander to sand them down and get them the final thickness. Um, it was just very tedious. Um, mm-hmm. I kind of want to try the steam bending thing on the seat rails. And if I do, I will probably try it once and prototype it just to see, just make sure it's going to work how I want it. Um, and I actually was watching a, uh, a video last night. Uh, there's a, a guy I like to watch on YouTube. Is, uh, his YouTube channel is Ishitani Furniture. He's a, he's a Japanese furniture maker. And he had a video actually of steam bending seat rails. I mean, exactly the same thing that I'm looking at doing. Yeah. Um, his were really thick though. Like he was taking a piece of, you know, uh, ash like this thick. I mean, like inch and a half, two inches thick and bending it into a U shape. And he had this really cool setup where, and I'm sure if you get ever watched like a Welsh stick chair or, um, a Windsor chair maker, they'll do the same thing where they'll steam it, put it in a form with a steel strap around the outside. Right. And then uh, like one person will be pulling it and clamp another other person's clamping it. Uh, the Ishitani furniture, he was using, um, he had two come alongs, a come along on each end and it was, everything was screwed down and bolted to his bench. So he'd put the, put the piece in and then, I think it's his wife. It, I'm not sure, but I think it's his wife was standing there winching to come alongs, you know, <laughs> at the same speed as he's applying clamps. I'm like, this is perfect. This is the perfect couple's activity for a wife and I. <laughs> right. <So. laughs> I don't know how that would go. Uh, but yeah, I, I do kind of want to try it. Um, we'll see. But yes, I will be making the chairs. The longest answer to your question that deserved a short answer yes i am planning on making the chairs <laughs> so i can't wait for the podcast week when there are nine thousand chair parts in the background mm-hmm. in the shop it's like that's right these are all the back legs these are all the front legs these are all the side rails yeah well and that's i mean that's honestly something to consider if you're going to build chairs right like this table is going to C8. So I feel like I need to make eight chairs. I mean, obviously my wife and I only need four for us two and our kids, but I feel like I should make eight chairs to match. That's 16 back legs, 16 front legs, you know, eight back rails and eight seat pans, basically. Um, I mean, that's a lot of parts. So there's a small production mindset you got to get in there um, to, to knock it out, but We'll see. We'll see how it goes. Yeah. So I will not be I will not be doing the upholstery on them though. I will <laughs> I will source out the upholstery. I have I have done it. I I don't like to do it. I'm not good at it. I will just bite the bullet, find somebody here in Des Moines that does upholstery and let them upholster. I think I'm gonna do the seat 
cushion and a back cushion on it. So. Okay. Maybe you yep. should talk to Matt Cremone about batching out chair parts. <laughs> yeah. You. Well, it's funny because I've been talking to Matt. I think we're actually going to get a couple of his chairs in to do like a review on them mm -hmm. uh, in an upcoming issue. Okay. And it's funny because he's actually, I mean, and I think he'll be the first one to tell you, he's not making them. Right. Right. He's, he's getting them from, they're his designs yeah. um, from a company that actually makes chairs for a living. I mean, that's what mm. they do. It's a company that manufactures chairs for restaurants. So yeah. nice. I can ask him people, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so, but it, and it would be different if I was doing all, all wood chairs, but since there's some, fabric on them and mm -hmm. stuff like that plus i need to get enough walnut stock i don't think i have enough walnut stock here for all of them i might no uh but i i don't know i do have two logs to cut but god i need to hurry up and get them cut if i'm planning on doing chairs out of them <laughs> right or there there is a uh, there's i did actually drop off a load of lumber to a kiln here in des moines last week i think um which was kind of cool kind of cool to see their setup they're up bigger sawmill operation on the east side or west side of Des Moines uh, in Adel, uh, Bear Creek Hardwoods. Oh. Um, and they have, they have two sawmills that they run. They have a Baker hydraulic and they also have like a swing blade type mill. It was a very interesting mill I've never seen before. It had three blades on it. So one vertical blade and then two horizontal blades that were smaller. So you basically roll the log into it and every cut, it cut the top and face of the board. It was very interesting. Uh, but anyways, they have a kiln out there that I dropped some lumber at that I'm going to bring down to Vegas with me. Yeah. Um, so I guess that's always an option too, is, is finding somebody to kiln dry it. But I don't, I, I don't, I don't like working with kiln dried walnut if I can help it. So, yeah. So yeah. Okay. So now that I took up half the podcast, John, what are you working on? <laughs> well, I was just talking to Phil about this earlier, that it's like the temperature is finally dropping here and like my shop's out in the detached garage. And I didn't realize like how big of a baby I would be about going out there in <laughs> 40 degree weather. I just haven't got my winter coat on yet, yeah, you know, yeah. my winter layer. So it's like I haven't been out there much in the last week and finding other stuff to do, but... I don't know. I need to figure out something about either heating it or at least getting it up above 50 degrees or something. So, yeah, well, you know, it's, it's interesting how if, if, if our listeners have never been in a climate where it does temperature swings like this, mm -hmm. like in the springtime, the first day it's 40 degrees out, us islands are running around in our swimsuit, you know, yeah, right. outside. It's like, it's, it's still so warm, but on the flip side of that, that first, like, Today it was 17 degrees out this morning. Mm -hmm. It was right. cold. I yeah. was like, holy crap, I can't get right. warm. I'm sitting in the car with the heated seat on, temperature turned all the way up. My son's yelling, I'm hot, dad. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which so, is why yeah. I'm doing the podcast in my work office and not in my shop. Because right. that's true. It's one thing if I'm out there and it's cold and you're at least moving around. I mean, yeah. you're still cold, but. Yeah. Yep. Or we'll get to January, February and it'll get above 30 degrees. And it's like, oh, this isn't so bad. I can go outside without a coat. And sun yeah. shining yeah. and so it just takes a while to get used to it yeah but i don't know that's just me yep. so your next your next project is building a shop heater yeah <laughs> okay <laughs> a wood fireplace okay well so. it's funny so i mean back on this ishitani guy he's like his channel's great he doesn't talk at all during it um which coming from somebody like me is, is weird right like right. i like to talk uh but it's very zen his channel just because it's just him working but he does he has a he has a uh a sawdust burner where sure. it's a sawdust fire not fireplace but like a, a wood burning stove yeah and he puts a tube in the middle dumps sawdust in tamps it down and then lights it and it burns it's like god that'd be great use for all the sawdust we produce yeah and i don't know that i want a wood burning fireplace in my wood shop but yeah. back to our insurance related <laughs> right yeah, yeah. 
I kind of wish I had a wood burning stove out in my garage. I think that would be kind of fun. Mm -hmm. It would be. Yeah. My brother had one in his house before he moved. It was an old one that I think my dad used when I was a kid mm -hmm. just for supplemental heat in our house. But mm -hmm. again, I, it was all dismantled and I'm a little, I mean, I think I would be pretty responsible with it, but it, yeah. I don't know. So what you're saying is if I find a free wood burning stove on Craigslist, will your wife allow us to install <laughs> it in your garage? <laughs> I can make this happen, uh, Phil. I'll have to get back to you, but I think Sorry, it would be tons of fun because I would love to do a cool. wood burning stove. So, so the question is though, if you have a wood burning stove, and this is not—I mean, I'm not I'm not saying you're a wood hoarder or anything. I'm mean, just in general. If you have a wood burning stove, are you less likely to collect scraps? Oh yeah, yeah. I I think so, so right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, and I've gotten a little better at it. I mean, my sister bought a house not that long ago and had has a fireplace in it and now at least i feel a little easier about getting rid of some scraps because i know hey i can bring this back with me when i see my sister or uh i know chris heats his place with wood yep. so you know i've been known to bring in a couple of bins of stuff for chris uh, it does yeah. make it a lot easier because otherwise it just feels like you're throwing away potential yeah. Well, and it's like this weekend, some of the, some of the walnut I was using on my table, um, when I dropped the tree, it cracked where it oh. hit another tree. So, so some of the boards had these big cracked ends. So I just, I was like, you know, what? I don't want to mess around with bringing that into the shop. So I cut it off and I was like, I could use it for a little project or it could just go in the fireplace right away. So it went in the fireplace right away. And you're right. Yeah. I mean, it, it does make it easier to just throw it in the scrap pile when it's like, oh, hey, I can get nice and warm and toasty on that 17 degree morning. <laughs> right. So, yeah. So, yeah. Anyway, so I'm working on, uh, like I said, this cutting board that I got over Thanksgiving from my dad, for those who are watching on the radio. Um, I don't, it's an odd comp construction because I'll try and take a picture of it and put it on the show notes page, but it's not only laminated side to side, but some of the pieces are face laminated. I don't know if you can see that very well on hmm. there. Interesting. You can see. Yeah. It's like a cabinet shop was using all their scraps. Yeah. And it's like, hey, if it's not thick enough, let's glue it to the other not thick enough stuff. <laughs> right. And then they turned it into a cutting board. It's a nice size. You know, sometimes yeah. it's really nice to have a larger, generously mm -hmm. sized cutting board. Um, so, like I said, I used a bandsaw to rip apart some of the glue lines that were starting to fail and then uh, jointed it up. And I think those two glue lines that I re-glued have got to be some of the tightest jointer work that I've done in quite a while. It was pretty hand jointer. Uh, not this time. Oh. <laughs> I saw you bring that in the other day and you had your number seven on it. Yeah, and I did. And I did take a couple of swipes on there, but sure. So, uh, although I will say one of my New Year's resolutions for this year was to get better with my hand jointing, and yeah. I have, Good. Um, but I've also found that getting better at hand jointing made me a better power jointer user, if that makes any kind of sense. Interesting. So, just it's skill gained by osmosis. Something. I don't yeah. know. It just I made that up maybe like knowing <laughs> more of what I'm looking for. Sure. You know, to see yeah. how to get it. So anyway, I have that glued up and then I want to resurface it a little bit. On the one side, you know, it's just got your standard knife marks, a couple of stains or whatever. Before my parents got it at some point, somebody had set it on a stove where it was a little mm -hmm. too warm. Mm -hmm. So there's a couple of, there's a pretty deep scorch mark on the backside. And I think it had little, little feeties at one point. And I know you're kind of a cutting board needs feet person logan i i have rubber feet if you need some well so so anyway i'm gonna clean that up and have that i mean i'm not yeah. gonna see my parents for a while so i haven't i don't really have a rush on it but it's sometimes with a project like that it's better to just get it done rather than have it loiter around so sure. and then i'm the still drum, working still working on some christmas projects sandpaper on it so oh see there so you go be that 
feed that bad boy through there. Win-win. Yep. Yeah, how how did your Christmas projects go or presents go that you you handed out? Yeah, uh, they were very well received, so that was kind awesome. of fun. Uh, for the TV show, we did a bird feeder project that was an over-the-top one, and I made one for my for my mom, and she loved it. Loved it so much so that she's still debating on whether my dad's going to be allowed to put it outside or if it has to be inside somewhere. The birds have so, to come in to eat. Right. Yeah. I think <laughs> I, we were joking about that she'd fill it with bird seed and then put it in front of their big picture window in the living room and it just be like a tease and you just have all mm -hmm. these birds smacking against the window. Mm -hmm. I, to be fair, I mean, we know your dad. Yeah. He just needs to make a second one. Right. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. I don't see a problem with that. So I know that he occasionally listens to the show. So word to the wise, you know, there you go. And then uh, the camp kitchen that I made for my sister, she loved. Uh, awesome. Though I did run into one snag that totally drove me up a wall. So I had it and it, it's a big, impressive thing to have wrapped up in wrapping paper. She opened it up, <laughs> nearly you burst it? it. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh geez. <laughs> uh, unwrapped it and was practically in tears over it. And she had just recently got a new camp stove. The very one that I had thought that I had modeled everything off of for it to fit in that upper opening. So she ran downstairs, grabbed her camp stove, put it in and went to close the lid and the lid wouldn't close on it. So ah. according to the website, the dimensions said that that stove was only four inches high. And I had a pocket that was four and three quarter plus almost four and seven eighths sure. deep you know so then i had the inset lid on it for people who saw it on the photos from last week's show notes page so i had plenty of space on the inside but when she went to close it that thing is more like four and five eighths hmm. tall which makes a big difference yeah so now i'm gonna have to have to remake the lid so that it is an overlay lid instead of kind of being inset. So not a huge deal. It's pretty straightforward to do, but still was kind of a bummer. But Yeah, it just means you have to get back up there before camping season rolls around. Right. Yeah. So, so I do have a couple of other gifts that I need to make for my kids and uh, uh, for my wife. But I think, you know, like for the other side of the family, I'm all set for that. Nice. Which is which feels good, and even so, that I've been able to add a few projects to get in before the end of the year, which is always fun. And I feel like I've gotten into a bigger groove on getting out to my shop and being active on stuff like that. So I feel I'm a much better person when I'm in my shop more often. It's yeah, I'm a better I dad. I'm a better husband. Yeah, I you know being able to sneak away, I, I sneak away a lot to go do the sawmill and all that jazz but being able to sneak into the shop for a couple hours on the weekend oh i oh, yeah. agree with you completely it's like i'm so much more calm it's like i'm not <laughs> snapping at my kids so i come home ask my wife what she wants for dinner it's just it, everybody's happy <laughs> yeah so i did i wanted to make something i haven't made anything for my kids recently and i wanted to do that for this year but it's tough coming up with woodworking projects for teenage-ish kids. Well, you, you know. made, did you make your daughter a nightstand recently? Yeah, I did for, uh, that was in spring. Sure. So that's one thing, you know, they kind of have a lot of the standard living in the house furniture of a desk, bed, yeah. bookcase, yeah. you know, so unless I want to replace one of those items, sure. those are kind of off the table, so. Sure. But, you know, like yeah, I was really struggling with my son. Like, what do you make yeah. a preteen boy? Slingshot. Uh, Slingshot. <laughs> that I your wife say, would approve. No, then no. Let's just <laughs> get a bunch of blanks glued up and we'll start turning Mandalorian helms. Like, right. full size. Yeah. No problem. So. And I know, I know they're both avid listeners of the show. But right. you can't say <laughs> what you're going to make them. <laughs> yeah. Right. So I think I've decided on a game controller stand. I've seen a few online. Cool. Yeah. Oh, cool. So not something actively used, but, you know, would still be a kind of a reminder that, you know, 
making stuff out of wood does play a role in your life, which I think is important for me to communicate. So mm -hmm. sure. Yeah, you know, it's funny because I, I don't have any plans to make anybody Christmas projects this year. Last year I did just a big batch, huge batch of cutting boards. Got so many cutting boards. Right. And there is only one thing that I might I, I might make some chopsticks for my family that I know would appreciate and use them. Yeah. Um but the only other thing that I might potentially make is also like game controller related. Uh, I've seen a couple plans for desktop. I say desktop, they're like two, two feet tall um, arcade games. Oh, yeah. You know, mm -hmm. where you, you do like a Raspberry Pi type controller. So you can basically load every vintage arcade game onto this one little unit mm. and it has the joystick controller and the buttons and everything yeah. i might make one of those if i can get the parts put together and ordered in a reasonable amount of time i might make one uh or it might turn to a birthday present but that has kind of been on my list for quite a long time to make for somebody that i know yeah so it might it might come to fruition so there you and, go. and that would be kind of fun yeah that yeah. would definitely be fun so, Okay, well, I think that wraps up another episode of the Shop Notes podcast. Thanks for listening. If you know any other woodworkers who would enjoy listening, feel free to send them a link. Uh, also, wherever you get your podcasts, we'd love to hear from you and giving us a review, a thumbs up, a like, or whatever it is that you do. Uh, it helps us to get more woodworkers like you listening to the Shop Notes podcast. If you want to see what we've been talking about, we're airing the show on our YouTube page. You can also find it at woodsmith.com slash podcast. So we'll see you next week, everybody. Bye. This episode of the Shop Notes podcast is brought to you by Woodsmith Magazine. Woodsmith Magazine has been the trusted source for all your woodworking information for over 40 years. From tips and techniques to furniture projects to shop projects, you'll find it all at Woodsmith Magazine. Subscribe today at woodsmith.com.